Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my new Audible, A Pastime of Their Own, which is about Negro League Baseball, and it's on Amazon and Wonder Room. I'm Derek White, the author of The Challenge of Blackness, Institute of Black World and Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lewis Moore. How are you doing, uh, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Just got out of spring breaks. Uh, halfway home. Half, halfway halfway home. Home. That's how good I'm doing. Wait, wait. So, so you're you finished last spring break last week or last week? Yeah. So I th- and we're done late April, I think, maybe early May at the latest. So halfway, and so we're just you know that countdown. You know that I, gotta I feel tell you, students. Everything's coming. Everything's coming your way. You got about another week, week and a half to chill, and then it's just like seven weeks of he double hockey sticks, and not just for my class, right? I always tell them like, look. And this is probably to my fault. Uh, my, let my class, if you're struggling in another class, the, you, let my class be that class where you get a break. That is to say, you're going to turn your stuff in. But if you got to turn it in one, two, three, four days late, that's fine. Just get it in. Um, I, I, You know, Look it's bad you. for them because it's nice, right? Because students are struggling. Um, I'm not ready to grade everything all at once anyway. But I think. Sometimes I think it's bad for them because part of college is learning to stay on task, right? Like you have to, and I know it's hard, um, but I would, I would say like 95% of them are on task, right? It's, there's a few who actually really, who really, really need it. Um, and I'm fine with that because if you don't do that, they'll tell you anyway. And then you get your feelings hurt. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to do this class first and then this class. And yeah, then your yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I usually have this saying of... Um, um, it's not late until I start grading. That's and what I tell them. I, yeah, I say it's not late until I'm done with your class and ready. And if if it if you're if I'm done grading and you still haven't got it in, then you're late because now I want to be done, right? Yeah, like you have, exactly. Some, you can turn it and, in, and I'll take. And then they're like, "Well, when is that?" Day. And I'm like, "I don't know," but you know, the due date is the best way to assure. Right, right. The the people ahead of you. Right. The (laughs) closest you are to the, you know, the closer you are to the due date, the more apt you're going to be on time. Right. Like, and most of them do, like you said, most of them are very, most students are very good at getting their stuff in on time. There's always a handful of stragglers. Like, um, and so it is. And I'll chase them down because I'm just like, look, you're going to pay this much money. You're going to be in debt regardless, especially at this point, right? This point in the semester. Now you yeah. paid for it, right? <laughs> you ain't getting your money back. Right? money back, right? So we might as well work together. And, you know, if this is a class where, you know, you just need a C or C plus and let's figure out how to get that, right? Um, yeah. And you're going to still do the work and stuff like that. And I got to, you know, my job is to grade and assess. And a pretty, you know, I'll do that. And I'll help you out. Um, real quick before we get started, because this is, we're going to talk briefly NCAA and job, but... Yeah, uh, Maryland, t- t- Maryland Terrapins and Joe Woo-woo. Smith won. Um, but but let me say this, listeners, listen. I want to throw this out to listeners. Um, and I'm calling the audible. Derek doesn't know what I'm doing. That I'm doing this. Um, so if you guys know, I've been working on this black quarterback book and about a hundred thousand, thirty thousand words in, and it's way too long. And Derek tells me it's way too long. And last night when I was talking to Derek, he said when I give it to him, I'll probably give it to him around May. He's going to cut a lot out of it. So, listeners, if you want to edit my piece and not cut stuff out of it, let me know. Let me know. So, I'm figuring, look, look, if you want to just deal with a thousand words, if I can get 130 people <laughs> dealing with a thousand <laughs> words at a time, we can get through this because I am, because I realize it's so big and massive that I can only go over it so many times um, before I can't go over it. Right. So, Hey, reach out to me, uh, Prof. Lou Moore, uh, you know, everything else, Gmail, whatever. Um, or you can reach out to, via the website if you want to take a thousand words starting May. And I'll have Derek's eyes on it. I'll have listeners' eyes. You don't, you don't need to do the whole 130. I can just give you a thousand or two thousand words and just help me get it to where I need to get it. Because right now it's, it's way too long. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty stubborn. So listeners, listeners, if you're out there, uh, just just hit me up and I will send you a, 
a thousand words. I ain't gonna see you a thousand dollars. I'll send you a thousand words. A thousand words. Just say bump it or dump it. You, you know, you don't even have to. You don't even have to put red lines to it. You just tell me it's no good or it works or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. He calls this audible, listeners. I want you to know that when I sent my manuscript on Jay Gator, Lou's response was, "It's good, but it's too long." <laughs> that was exactly what he told me. I probably cut like two hundred words, two hundred pages out. Yeah, I, and I cut like thirty thousand words out of it. So I just want to let yeah. you know the, the payback is coming. I'm like James Brown, it's a big payback. Right, right. <laughs> um, no, I I mean, yeah, no. Just, I mean, all that makes the process it it makes it go better, right? You know, right. we know that's the hardest part because we get it's the hardest because you you know some of those words we're gonna cut are fabulous. Like there's times you read the old drafts or you're, you're like, ooh, I wish I had kept that paragraph. That's yeah, good. it's words and it's info and you know it's just and and as I told us, so I'll, I'll be on crafting the past at, at some point. That writing, I think it's that writing. Oh, podcast. look at you! Yeah, you big time. Big time. Like, okay, you out I'm here. I'm like, why you guys got me? But anyway, um, and I love that. I love that podcast too because I like hearing other historians. Um, and I think real. I realize now that uh, obviously I'm a little bit more mature, but as a writer, I'm more mature, and I understand that there's a process to this, right? And what helped me out was understanding that we'll have time to edit and then I'll have time to move, like craft it and move things around. And I think where, when I was dealing with the first two books, I fight for a living and we will win the day, by the way, I wasn't even thinking about like crafting or anything like that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. here's my outline and I'm just going boom, 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 boom. Whereas now it's like, okay, I got to figure out where things go a little bit better. Cause I'm trying to tell a story and I'm not necessarily I'm not making an argument. Right. I just want to, to tell a story. And I think from here on out, that's all I want to do. And writing sport, people don't understand writing sports history is hard to do because it's entertaining. But yet when you're going through newspapers, you get in that flow of telling a story via the newspapers. Right. So it just becomes like da, 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 da. And you get in this bad rhythm. Whereas telling a story is a lot different. Right. And so sometimes you have to step back and be able to say, well, how do I how do I tell this story without sounding like I just put together a lot of newspapers like, you know, which probably half my writing sounds like. Right. Um, so now I'm just at a different point where I want to tell a story. So any listeners want to help out, you know, let me know. Look at us talking. This is this is you doing your draft of uh, what is it? Uh, the craft. What is it? What's yeah, the, I think it's drafting the past. Great podcast, by the way. Yeah. Um, Look at you shouting out other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today? We talking about so John NCA, and as we speak right now, the tournament's on, and I in and, and I think this is where I want to go. On this I didn't watch any um, basketball. By the way, I was at Kansas. I got some Kansas swag, so you know, rock chalk on that one. Um, but but I ha- I haven't watched any, and because to me, there's no star element there. There's nobody. Not to say they're not worth it, but there's nobody to watch, right? Just the way the NBA has worked, just the way the G League has worked. And, you know, like the lack of like a Dick Vitale pumping up some guy who's like 22 years old, making you think Chris Corciani's like the next big thing, right? Is not, is not there anymore. So there's no appeal to me, right? And basketball, plus basketball has just completely changed, right? Um, um, watching the NBA game versus watching the uh, NCAA games just night and day. And, and I prefer... Like, if I'm going to watch bad basketball, let me watch it with pros. All right. I'm going to just say two things. That is all absolutely correct. And two, you're not proud of any of your alma maters. Because if you were proud (laughs) of your alma maters, you would at least watch them. So as a person who agrees with everything you said, uh, but also spends a ridiculous amount of time watching uh, inferior basketball uh, because I got teams, that's the part I like. Uh, you know, I still, as as listeners have heard on this podcast, I am a, uh, a longtime alumnus of the greatest university in America, the University of Maryland College Park, Fear the Turtle. Uh, and so that means that I spend a lot of time watching uh, both college football, basketball, college soccer. I watch women's basketball. Like, if the tur- lacrosse, women's, I, if the turtles are on, I'm probably going to watch. I'm going to give you at least 15 minutes to an hour. Um, And uh, so this season, last season was very uh, difficult. I'm just going to say it. We, our coach quit mid-year in December. Uh, uh, Our coach quit mid-year and, um, and, 
you know, we had Danny Manning, the great Kansas player. Look at that. Uh, take over our team. Our first losing season since before my freshman year. Yes, yes. But ladies, let me just say real quick. We're not editing anything else. So if you heard that, you heard that. Uh, uh, Derek, Derek has been interrupted by one of his kids. Part of part of doing podcasts at late at night. Um, but let my here's my defense though. I watched my Sac State my ain't tools. no good. So oh. When I was at Sac State, we didn't win a game. Um, in fact, <laughs> I, I I mean they didn't they literally didn't win. And I was and I'm not gonna brag, but I was better than some of those players because I remember we played them. So so it was dorms, right? And they had this dorm competition. It was after the season. It was like one, you know, I was Draper Hall versus whatever. And so all the the players were in another dorm, and it's just me and some scrubs, and I was getting them. You know, I put 20 on them in the first half. They was getting mad at me. Um, but they didn't win a game. Uh, so, what, like, why am I supposed to watch that? And the other thing, now that they're okay now, is that they're, they're West Coast time. And so, like, I'm not staying up to watch uh, Sac State or where I got my PhD, UC Davis, right, um, play basketball in the big sky or the big west um he doesn't so even know he, ladies and gentlemen he don't even know what conference they're in. i don't even know I, i'm just bad so i that. also will say this i i was you know i'm born and raised in lexington kentucky uh i now work at the university of kentucky uh kentucky basketball i, I when, when i give talks and some of you probably have heard this people are like where are you from kentucky i'm like we got three things we got horses we got basketball we got bourbon uh and not necessarily in that order uh, and right now is the middle of basketball season. And, uh, you know, this this town, this state lives and dies by the ways in which Kentucky basketball is performing. Uh, you know, in in December, January, they were trying to fire Coach Cal. He won like seven games in a row. They're like talking about Final Four. And now we're back to anxiety and angst. And so when you live in that, you grow up in that environment, you live in that environment now, work in that environment. You know, college basketball is always um, is always fairly close, at least those two teams for me. Um, but I will say I watched Maryland win today because uh, we were the first game of the tournament, which means I get that's a bad, awful looking uh, game. I, Go ahead. Which also means that we get two days of uh, pure enjoyment uh, the rest of today and tomorrow. Uh, but it also means that I had not watched West Virginia play all season, right? Like I couldn't name one player on their team. I knew their coach. I didn't know they didn't press anymore. Like this, like college basketball is, has lost its position in the hierarchy, especially in the lead up to the tournament. I think that's the part that's really been the most disappointing these last, you know, and so I think some of it was hurt by COVID. There are some really good teams that COVID year. Um, and some very good players that, who had been in college for a couple of years. Um, and now those players are all gone. Uh, and now we have the transfer portal. We've got, like you said, the G League. you got Overtime Elite. you got um, people going to Europe. Um, right. And then the one and done. It is hard for fans. It's hard for fans to keep up, right? And it's even hard for fans who follow teams to keep up. You know, who's on our team at the beginning of the year, right? Um, like this Kentucky team is, you know – two years ago was completely different, right? Like all the players were different two years ago. Uh, and so that turnover has been really hard um, for, I think, even diehard fans to to really kind of grapple with. And so the casual fan has struggled. I think millions of people will obviously fill out their brackets. Millions more will watch uh, these upsets. Like Princeton tonight beat Arizona. Uh, Furman beat Virginia on a last second three pointer. Um, oh, awful play from Virginia. I feel yeah. bad for that kid. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, so that kind of that kind of stuff uh will still generate a lot of interest and whatnot, but that deep, that deep, deep interest that that I think was generated in the eighties, especially with the at the growth of ESPN, um, is just is not there. And this next generation, like you said, they get their they get their basketball from a million places. They get it right. off the internet, they're getting off the Twitters, and, but they're not watching games, and so they're not following players. And if those players don't have that profile before they get there, they're not doing anything. Right. And so that means, I think, too, the other part is this class is just not exciting, this freshman class. But next year, your Kentucky will, I believe you guys get Wagner, um, and that kid could flat out play. And so I think I'll tune in for that. And I think the biggest name coming in, maybe not the biggest player, is going to be Bronny James. And it's going to be interesting to see – what he does for his one year. And I, 
I don't think he's one of done talent, but he's big time. Like he's getting money somewhere, and he might actually be able to get with NILs more money playing yeah. at UCLA or USC. I don't know if you, I don't know if Ohio State's the move. Like I think he's he should probably stay home, be around pops at at UCLA because um, there's. <laughs> There's a lot of alumni there. Uh, in well, that the area. UCLA and USC are going to end up. By the time he gets there, they'll be in the Big Ten. So, like, they'll there's the Big Ten, like, so it might make a, sense. Yeah, it's a fairly regular trip to Ohio, at least. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the names matter, right? Like, I think that's the point. Like, the the, the high school names flat. It used to be the teams mattered, and the players grew into the teams, and now the right. players uh, matter. Uh, and I think that we've really had. Uh, a dearth of players. I think like at Kentucky, for instance, one of the things I was talking to somebody in a store the other day about Kentucky. And I was like, you know, if you look at even the co- coach Cal's team, since he won the national title with Anthony Davis, he's had some amazing players who are amazing superstars in the NBA who were not like they didn't win at UK. Right. So Devin Booker was here at UK and he was a freshman and probably should have played more. They might have won a national title. Starting was he? Wasn't even starting. Six man, yeah. right? Um, Shea Gildress, Alexander. They lost to Kansas State in uh, the Sweet Sixteen uh, one year, right? I when Loyola of Chicago went to the Final Four, I went to that game in Atlanta, um, and it was disappointing, right? And I'm like, Shea Gildress, Alexander is like flat out amazing when I watch him for Oklahoma City. Now, like you're like, dude, how did that dude lose? to these guys at Kansas State, right? Um, and they had P.J. Washington. They had, like, four pros on that team, right? right but, right. but like, that inability to translate for Coach Cal is here, translate pro talent into college success has been part of the frustration. And then it also says something about that he's been identifying the right kind of players, but they're peaking at the NBA level, right? And right. there's something about the college game, whether it's the fouls, whether it's the strategies, whether it's – you know, some of the clogging of the lane. Um, you know, I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. Oh, my gosh. Like, teams don't get to 70 regularly. Like, like yeah. and, and that, that's hard to watch. Like, if you're a fan, I ain't trying to do that. I would much rather watch Steph Curry put up 50 on, like, 79% shooting as he did the other night. Yeah, and I, and I think part of it, too, is I think we've talked about this before. It's just basketball is just becoming – all the same now, right? Like trainers, like you go, if you watch, go on YouTube or Instagram, everyone's teaching the same thing. So every player, there's no unique skill set that any player has. Nobody's like kind of building their game on their own and bringing anything different mm-hmm. uh, to it. So everybody's doing the same moves. <laughs> like, and so it's just like after a while, it's like, okay, everybody's just kind of replaceable. The other thing too is like that one and done mentality is, is, is unless you have a big star really hurts college basketball right because they're they're in and out and then the good teams wind up being the guys who can't go pro and are 22 23 years old but they're you know they're good local they're good college players but they're not exciting to watch right because they're not yeah like Purdue, like like the big man's not going pro right and so it's like i mean he'll go pro but he you know he ain't ain't playing he's too big and slow yeah but like you know like i think back like we think we go all the way back right like Michael Jordan winning that national title shot against Georgetown, like in the early eighties, right at UNC. But on that team is like, like Sam Perkins is on that Stack. team, right? Worthy like, like Worthy Stack, yeah. Perkins, like he's like the fourth wheel on that team. He's right? a freshman, yeah, right. Oh. And and the fact that he was playing for D. Smith as a freshman was a big deal, right? And I think that one of the things we get lost, like I was at when I was at Maryland, it was like I saw Tim Duncan for four years, right, like. And he would come to Cole Fieldhouse and put up work. But those t- first two years where he played against Joe Smith were the most amazing big power forward games that you had ever seen right. in like in the night. Like it was like, oh my gosh, what's Joe gonna do? Oh, okay. I didn't know you had that 15 footer. And then Tim walks up to the box and then faces up and hits it off the glass. Like, like those are real lot. Like, but when you watch the games now, like even conference games. Like there's a lot of energy because of the conference, but there's not a lot of energy because these dudes have been battling against each other for three and four years. And I think that's where yeah. that's where where the game has been lost. Um, and then you've got, you know, multiple teams with three and four year starters, three of their four, you know, and they've been, you know, and they're working their way through the bracket and 
you're trying to see how this plays out. Um, you know, that's, a, and so you right. you, you know, Baylor wins a national title, even that Kansas team from last year, I was like, dude, I watched him. I couldn't tell you who was on that team from last year. Right now. And I got a couple of seniors again that, you know, so you, you're, if you're a good program, unless you're Izzo or Michigan state, maybe they win this year. I don't know. But if you're a good program with 22 year old guys, you're going to be, you should be good. Right. Because, the mid majors have the you know, those guys, and now, but you have them, and they're four or five stars, right? Who, who can't go to the league? Um, but I will say this: the most exciting player in college basketball is not in the men's bracket; it's in the women's bracket, and it's Caitlin Clark. Um, so I actually have watched more women's college basketball than men's college. I've I've watched a lot. My daughter, who's freshman, I make her sit and watch uh, women's because it's a it's a completely different game. Very skilled. Um, but she, if you don't listen to her, you probably, if you're listening, you probably know who Caitlin Clark is. But if you haven't seen her play, this is it. Make sure you take an opportunity. I'm talking about 30 foot pull, you know, 30 foot three pointers, pull ups, all kinds of crazy stuff that you're not going to see on the other side of the bracket. Um, so yeah. And then they, <laughs> Derek's having kids problem at 10 o'clock at night. This is awesome. And then also, uh, Notre Dame's Olivia Miles is out for the season. She could play too, straight, straight up baller. Um, unfortunately she is out for the, for the remainder of the tournament, but I, my guess is the women's bracket and I was watching it real quick. Their first four starts today. I was watching a little bit before we got on, uh, shout out, shout out to St. John's for beating Purdue, um, might be more exciting this year. Um, cause you have Don Saley and the quest to go undefeated, mm. to go back to back with Sam, Sam, uh, South Carolina. Stanford's still really good. Um, Maryland's good. Really good. Maryland's good. Hey, what happened to Ashley Oweso, by the way? She went. She uh, transferred to Bar- Georgia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech. And then she's not playing this year or what? Uh, she got hurt, I think, earlier oh, okay. in the year. Okay. Um, she goes out ball. She, she was a ball, she, yeah. Like, I mean, you I guys will, lost. You guys lo- lost Reese, too, who's at LSU. Yeah, who, no, who, I, I can't even understand. Play. Yeah. Like, I she will say, play. like. Um, you got her brother, Brent, though. Brenda, Brenda Freeze, oh, well, Juju was amazing today, by the way. Um, but Brenda Freeze, like, I, you know, I think, again, this is how I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Maryland fan. Like, when all those players trans out, transferred out, uh, Angel Reese, Awusu, uh, uh, like, I thought they were really good, good players, like, really great players, all-conference performers. I didn't know what they were going to do this year. This is probably Brenda Freeze's best coaching job in a long yeah. time because she, like, rebuilt that whole roster. Um they got a number two seed, but you know, she also had a crazy schedule. They played South Carolina. They played Iowa three times this year. I think they played UConn early in the non-conference season. Like, you know, they, they, they've had a really, really difficult schedule. Ohio state was amazing early in the year. Um, uh, Indiana was good. Like, I think they played, uh, you know, the big 10 was pretty tough. Yeah, Indiana was real good. Right. Right. Yeah, Indiana, and- Iowa, I think they broke records for, um, putting butts in the seat, right? Put fans in the stands. Yeah. Uh, and then next year, the big names would be Juju, right? Juju Watkins, who's already got, I think she's already got NIL stuff and she's got like uh, LeBron's team behind her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want us to wish to go on U- USC, I think, or UCLA. One um, of those West Coast teams, yeah. College like, player of the year, yeah. So, I, you know, I think, you know. Our high school I, player of the year. I mean, I do think that this women's bracket is going to be, I think is one, I think you got to, you need some, you need star power at the top of the thing, right? Okay. And I think it's South Carolina is clearly the star power. And oh, then, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then yeah. now you get, like, the casual fan will be like, well, is South Carolina going to lose? That's that's news, right? Like, that's right. what we're that's, looking at. Yeah, that's, that's like, well, you know, we grew up with that with Tennessee when they were dominant, right? And then or UConn, UConn yep. right? And so South Carolina's at the top. And, and now, but you got a lot of really, really good teams in that next tier below them. Um, that are all that on the right night can catch anybody, right? And and I think that's an important that that's what makes the tournament really exciting, right? Like is that, uh, and I think the gap, you know, when I think ten years ago, fifteen years ago, maybe even five years ago, the gap between you know if you were a top four seed, you were almost guaranteed to make it to the Sweet Sixteen, right? Yeah. Right. Like now we're starting to see more upsets in that that like four, you know, that three, four, five, six, seven range, like we see in the men's bracket. And I think that actually makes the women's game as exciting because, you know, that's why we like the tournament. We like upsets. I mean, the women's, the women's bracket for a long time was chalk. 
until right. until like the elite eight. <laughs> um, well, you know, I would say what it is is people are paying more attention to w- girls basketball at a younger age. Now it's losing. I think it's, I think girls basketball is losing out to volleyball a lot, but still, there's still like real ballers out there. There's there's they have trainers now. They have AAU, whereas in our generation, they didn't really have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And they also have you know, and I think the sports complex model also figured out like you know, we're losing half our money by not targeting young girls, mm-hmm. right? And so you can get those parents, you know, you get the parents like Lou Moore, who's going to, who might shovel out some money, right, for their kid to play AAU or whatever. It's still a racket, and whether you're talking softball or soccer, I baseball mean, it, it, or soccer, it's all expensive, right? And all of a sudden, they've tapped into this basketball market, and, you know, some of these aren't going on to play, but is being treated like it's real now and there's opportunities. And I think the other thing is social media and the rise of staff at the and, same and time. And the same time, allows, transfers and everything, right. right? Like, I think that's also, I think that's even it out. I think, you know, I think one of the kind of hidden things that I've noticed on the Maryland roster, the last two years, we've had transfers from the Ivy League come into to our roster, right? Which doesn't even seem like that'd be possible, but they've been, Abby Myers is a stud. She She's playing for us, right? Like, she's, She's like probably the third leading scorer on our team. She was the Ivy League player of the year for, I think, two or three straight years at, at, at Princeton. Um, then we have the um, the young lady from Harvard the year before who was like leading the country in three-point shooting. She she led the Big Ten in three-point shooting, right? And so we're starting to see in the, that, that, that small school, uh, as, like especially the Ivy League, but other small schools can translate into the bigger conferences and give and really reconfigure kind of lineups and give people opportunity um to play and so i you know as when i watch women's basketball and i watch a lot of maryland's women's basketball um and then when i you know uk had a tough year i admit but i had ryan howard a couple years ago in my class and she was the best player in the country and so i would watch all the women's games and and she was amazing and so you have just kind of this talent pool all the way up and down the rosters in a way that we didn't see. Tennessee has so many more players than everybody they else. UConn, yeah. I was like, what they like, who is this? Why yeah. is Maya Moore coming off the bench? Oh, yeah, because like they got like six, six yeah. or seven like All Americans in front of her. You know, like you just had to wait your turn. Right. It's better. I think it's better. So the dominant team brings interest, but then I think it's better once you get past that hump, it's better overall when you spread out the wealth a little bit. And now you got to compete, right? And it's like, you know, no, no knock on Gino, but it's like, okay, these teams have even out a little bit. Are you going to be able to win when you don't have 10 All-Americans on yes. your team, right? And all of a sudden you get two or three and someone else has two or three. Okay. Like what can, can you develop now? Like, can you, can, can you, you develop, develop the back end of your roster like, can you, or can yeah. you coach in game? Right. right. And I think right. that's a lot. Like, I think that's, you know, it's hard. Um, it's hard. Cause I think that's what you see a lot at, uh, in a lot of sports at lower levels where teams dominate, because they just got more talent. Right. And, and he's yeah. been hit with injuries this year. I think Paige oh, yeah. and uh, Fudd yeah. got hurt. Um, and I won't speculate why. They, they play a lot of basketball, but um, you know, and that that's always gonna that's always gonna put you behind the eight ball. But the the other story that we're here, we won't I think we I on deck was Alabama. Uh what's going on with them, but it's just, it's just a nasty situation. So I don't even want to approach I, that. I'm just gonna say this. Uh it won't be a story uh if and when my turtles win on uh Saturday and so I hope so. Like they shouldn't <laughs> even be honestly right, let's do a minute. They should I don't think they should be playing basketball. I think they should have done what New New Mexico State did and canceled the basketball season. It's just too much. It's just such an ugly situation, but they won't do that, right? Right. It the, just means more. You're number one in the nation, right? And so you just can't. They won't. They won't. They can, but they won't do that. Oh yeah, we can talk about. I think we'll have another chance to talk about this if they if they go if they make a deep run. I want to come back to this because I think there's some some timing issues that I think we should discuss um, at at a future date. Um, right. But yeah, let's talk about job real quick. So um, we we got the 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 rough cut of the. The Jalen Rose interview, We, for, for listeners who I'm sure have been paying some attention to this, John Morant has been suspended for eight games. Um, he had, uh, I would say, a week, 10 days ago, maybe two weeks ago, uh, flashed a gun on Instagram Live that while he was in uh, a strip club. And uh, this had led to uh, a lot of speculation about what's going on with him in his, in his own kind of personal issues. Um, 
in his decision making. And this is on the heels of a number of other stories in which he'd gotten altercations with a 17 year old and gotten an altercation at the mall security guard. Um, and so I think that, you know, you know, what, how, you know, what do we, how do we figure out this as historians, right? As scholars of this kind of long tradition, like, you know, what are we to make of John ja Morant's trajectory and at this point, right? Because he's clearly at an inflection point in his career. And what does this mean for us kind of thinking about it historically? That, yeah, and I would say that and um, just how the commissioner deals with it, right? Where we're in two different NBA, we're, you know, we grew up with a different NBA. We grew up with a David Stern NBA. And, and my guess is like, you know, 15 years ago, John Morant would have been sitting out 50, 60 games, mm. at least the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I have, I don't think I've seen an NBA player in the history this young, this bright, um, potentially throw everything away like that over that. Like Jay Williams did it over, over motorcycle. a motorcycle accident um, after his, what? Rookie year. His rookie year, right? Allen Iverson had some run-ins, but it was just like you know, some some run-ins that he was able to, to I, don't mean, I mean, he had run a, but he didn't have anything, but like not that. in his Allen's first couple of years. School, like yeah. it was like he had oh, the yeah. he had the high school thing, and then he had a pretty clean. He was pretty sheet. clean, and then there was I think there was more people looking for him to have run. Well, because he was also wearing you know straight backs and, yeah, and, yeah. and and baggy clothes when, and he was the first really to do that. Yeah. Right, and not to say that people came in before the league and weren't uh, about that life or didn't do. It. They just think they they just thought they could get away with it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Allen Iverson came in as he was and people gravitated towards that and then they looked for things. Whereas it seemed like John Morant like hunted stuff out. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said, it was these last few months, it was just a progression of things, whether it's the laser pointing the laser at the Indiana team bus or a, a gun with laser on it, right? That's the accusation. Mm-hmm. Um, the mall... You know, his mom calling him for help for finish line. I'm like, dude, why are you even at finish line? What's going on? <laughs> right, right. Going to a high school volleyball game. It's just like bad. And I don't, I haven't seen that. And and this is not to say that players have made bad, like bad mistakes, like rugs, right? Like early yeah. NBA. And yeah, I think the Dave Javaris Crittenden killed somebody, right? Um, but for the most part, David Stern kind of put the nail the hammer on the nail, right. Or mm-hmm. so to speak, whatever. Like he put, he was the law. And I think he cleaned a lot of stuff up before probably even got to public and people kind of were on the straight and narrow. Um, but this was just different. And, and I think part of the problem was, is that John ja was too invested in his reputation on social media, not just as a baller, but this kind of larger than life figure. Um, mm-hmm. And I think basketball wasn't enough for him. And I think he just had a bad circle of friends or he didn't have that one person in his circle to tell him, you got to chill, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's all this money out there for you. You don't need to be doing this. Even that gun situation at that, that fine establishment in Denver, um, where he said it's not his gun. It's like, why are you holding someone else's gun? Right. That's just stupid. To me, that's even worse. Yeah. Like, First, it's bad for you to build it, bring it in there, but it's even worse to like hold somebody else's, put it to you towards your temple, do all this kind of stuff. Like that's just bad behavior, right? And I, the best thing that ever happened to him, I think, was posting that um, because people saw it and it forced him to have to get help. Now I don't know how much help helped him, but I think he needed he needed help. And if you ever read my Twitter. There are times where I've been like, you know, praying that the NBA gods have protected Ja. It used to be for injuries, but, you know, after the Indiana Pacers stuff, it just seemed weird to me. Like this guy would be in a circle of friends like that and think that's okay. He needed help. And I think although this exposed him and he got in a little bit of trouble, it allowed him to like uh, hopefully look at his circle and and realize that that he's got a lot you know, um, moving forward, he's got what a 250 million, 230, $250 million contract. He's got a shoe deal. Mm-hmm. He's got generational wealth, um, at the age of 23 and it can be a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I think he's, you know, he's built for that. He'll be, he'll be okay, but he really needed this. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to speculate 
what other the problems were, whether it was alcohol or whatever. Um, but he needed the 10 days, and I would say he probably needed more because these are really bad things that, that are now getting brushed off. Yeah, I'll say, I mean, I heard, you know, uh, uh, Bomani Jones, who I assume is a friend of the pod, because, um, but he said this, that like, you know, uh, that Ja, because he he wasn't an elite high school player, right? He yeah. wasn't an elite middle school player, that he was not on what Bill Roden and $40 million slave called that conveyor belt, right? He talks right. about that conveyor belt of keeping keeping young black athletes kind of you know, dumb really. Right. And, and, and basically as labor for the sporting industry, but what that, that belt does um, is it also trains these, these elite athletes from a young age to understand their brand. Does that make sense? Like they're like brand, they're brand conscious for at a much earlier age. Right. Um, And I think the job, because he was at, Murray and because he was kind of an undervalued asset until until he wasn't right he then did not get any of that kind of um exposure I want to say training is yeah Yeah. but like management right Right. like the guardrails to make sure that you're a star you know I'm in I'm in Kentucky Murray's in a little bitty town um in western Kentucky um, it, you know, it is a it is a school with a great rep, like a great basketball history, but it plays in the OVC, right? Like it's not, you know, it's not Big Ten. So like, it wasn't until he had already reached that pinnacle right. that then they were like, oh, this kid's gonna be a number two pick, and by right. then he had already developed a set of habits that if he had gone to Kentucky, they would have they would have molded out of him. Like none of my, like none of the UK guys are tweeting recklessly because they understand that like that's part of the deal of deciding to come to UK is that like, probably took a media class too. Right. Like it's like brand management, right? Like, um, and so when you come here, whether you're the, 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 the McDonald's all American and you're Oscar Shibway, who's a player of the reigning player of the year, or you're a walk-on, you're not out here twe- tweeting recklessly. You're not out here doing IG lives recklessly, talking about what, you know, like whatever you do out in public, that can't yeah. be, like you're always on, right? Like that's what the- Jamal Murray, I think Jamal Murray had a little little dust up on Instagram one time. but uh, I mean, but like. Yeah, we don't need to, <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, but no, you're right. And I, I talked to a reporter yesterday about this too. I said, look. Two of the names that kind of come up around his area, Zion, right? He's from the same thing. And Zion been in the limelight since he was high school, right? Mm-hmm. Like though that YouTube exposure and then going to do prepared him for his fame differently than Jaw, right? Like Jaw, and and then there's the balls. Um, Lonzo and Lamelo, who been exposed to that since they were in high school. And you know, part of it's their Middle dad bringing for the youngest exposure. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Right. For for Lamelo, um, right? Since I mean, he was like I think in ninth grade scoring ninety points, and he was Paul that bar, ball machine. And though we looked at it like bad, it's he still prepared them, right? He still prepared them for what to expect. To now, now it looks like sometimes Lamelo does make some bad decisions when he's driving his car, um, and in a city like Charlotte that has like the history of Bobby Fields, I I, I highly recommend that that he doesn't do that. Um, I've seen highlights of him like blowing through stop signs and stuff like that. Um, but they they're pretty well adjusted for for the exposure that their bre- dad brought them, and that's just years of. And whereas Jaw was just kind of thrust into this, like all of a sudden you're bigger than Zion, who was I didn't think you could get bigger than right. Yeah. Like, and 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 you go from rookie of the year to comeback player of the year, and you have the greatest lines ever about we don't you know we don't run for smoke or whatever he says and. And I think it just became something he couldn't manage. Um, and, and I also think that some of this is also like, um, you know, this is a Memphis. Some of this is tied to the the market that they play in, right? right? Like Memphis has built this this brand, this team brand as this under this feisty, 
underdog, right. like the city. It's got a lot of the city's energy in its basketball. You know, like Zebo was a basketball there, city, like right? A legit basketball city. Yeah. But like you know that Zebo teams and right, like we playing. You know, like we about to play hard nose defense, Grindhouse or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mixing and, with a little three six mafia, right, yeah. right. Three six is even on their jersey, like they have that rap element, Memphis element on their jersey. And so, too. like, yeah. and you know, when you're young, and then you know, he's still young, right? Like, we were all young. We were both young doing stupid stuff too, right? But we didn't right. have, I didn't have no phones in those days, right? right? And right. and so, like, part of a uh, part of the 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 challenge for him is he's grown up in this era where. uh you know, cell phones and social media are, are ever present. Um, and he has not gotten any of the kind of guidance. And then at the same time, in one year, he was thrust from a dude who was kind of interesting in the OVC to the, like the number one or number two pick, right. you know what I mean? Like, like his ego go one or two, right. In this draft, right. Like it was a two person draft and he was one of the two people. And, and that is that is you know it, I imagine that that comes with a level of that requires a level of maturity that most young people don't have right and right. and I think that you know I think I hope like you said I hope that his ten day stint in in for counseling really and you know addresses some of the issues and not a stopgap and I hope that he has enough maturity to keep going. After the season, I think this is a compromise that, you know, I think Memphis feels confident about their opportunities, their chances to make a deep run. Um, but I hope it doesn't come at, you know, at the expense of, of him. Well, yeah, That's the thing. If you couldn't handle what happened before, like I hope you can handle what happens now because there's, there's still expectations, right? Now, I think the hardest thing for young athletes is to live up to to expectations. I think the other thing that got him was his personality on the court is very brazen, right? He's, 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 he's unapologetic. He's, he's confident, he's cocky, and that's what sells. And I don't think there was anybody to, to tell him to chill. Right. right. Uh, Cause he's, he seems like he's always on 100, right? Whether he's drinking on IG or party and then, like there's no chill, and and this is not to like pour on his his father, because uh, I think it's a tremendous story, only because the way we've in the past painted black fathers, right? Yeah. Whereas like someone like Sports Illustrated did, like where's my father? Like we black fathers, we know the statistically are there, but just the way American media has portrayed it, but it almost seemed like his dad was more of like his best buddy and his hype man, and when it needed to be calm chill like he wasn't have right you can't have so-and-so in your circles like if if so-and-so is getting kicked out of the arena and then you guys are pointing lasers i don't you know just maybe they shouldn't be in there right and if you don't have somebody in your corner and say hey man maybe we shouldn't go to finish line (laughs) i'll go or let's call security or something like that right at that point someone needs to be mature around him and it should have been his his the parent, right? Yeah, but so I also like, think that, like, you know, he, yeah. you know, I, I heard who does this was who said this, like, uh, maybe Jalen Rose said this, right? That was his his speech when he was on. He was like, "Dude, you become it's when you become the NBA first round, you become the head of your family, dude." Right. And like, your father can't tell you anything more because you now making eight, ten, twelve, fifteen million dollars a year, right? And but that was that's like a relation. I think Shannon brought it up this morning, Shannon Sharp, who they did mention my name a couple weeks ago, by the way. Uh but he brought it like me and my son's relationship won't change. I'm your father, right? Like it, at a certain point you gotta Yeah, but that's Shannon Sharp kind of with stirred. the money and though. I, but I do think I think John, his dad had that relationship where look, I've seen the videos of him working out. Like that his dad has control. Right off him, like like anytime you make your kid do that many tire jumps, you know what I mean? Yeah, but like uh, I, I you, mean, you got so caught. Right. No, no, I he did at that point, right. but like I think at this point, right, the byproduct of that is is that they have both won, but Ja is still the the still the entity, right? right? It's okay, yeah, and, you know, and I don't know. I think it, you know, at the end of the day, I think he. You know, I want him to be successful. I want him to 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 be the superstar that he's capable of being. 
Um, this is also, I think this is, I think historically, like we get back to our real historical question. I think Jaws is going to be the first kind of cautionary tale of no matter how this turns out, positive or negative cautionary tale of this social media generation. Right. Yeah. One of the things that we, we've never had a superstar. I can't think of any that has like been this in the crux of like, they've had some mix of, you know, some mess ups or whatever, but like one where we now know that this is played out in social media in a way, because like as for as much celebrity as LeBron has always had, right. He still predates social media like that. <laughs> and he's smart. Like he's, he, I don't like, even know if he's tweeting, he's calculated with his tweets. Kevin Durant has a burner account and he's still Kevin Durant. Yeah. And the other person who might've got it, Kyrie's and, but I don't think Kyrie's like mess messing with anti-semitism and that's social media too is not the same type of yeah going live as jaw did and it you know where where you're was wearing on earrings like uh, he right. was he was a particular kind of we work at black like we right. we've been in a, a number of uh Af- we had african-american studies so i'm absolutely familiar with the the kind of lane that that jaw uh, that uh Kyrie has ended up in right like that makes right. perfectly good right. sense given like new york uh his age you know even like you know for 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 us who grew up on rap music in the 90s like every all those new york rappers were five percent five percenters right yeah Yeah. you know so like a lot of it has a lot of that same kind of energy yeah Uh, and so like years ago (laughs) right uh but and so like it just manifests on social media whereas i think um this jaw situation seems to 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 be a um I don't know. I won't say caused by social media, but it's self-inflicted though. But but, right. but carried in a yeah. different kind of way through social right. media, right? right. Um, and so I, you know, I hope he gets to help. I hope they do well. Um, you know, he's a superstar. He's amazing to watch. Um, but I also think that, like, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies. Let me put my GM hat on. The Memphis Grizzlies uh, management. No matter what happens this year, they got to change the energy around that team. Yeah. And I don't know what that energy should look like, but they got a lot of, you know, this Dylan Brooks and all this talk. And, you yeah, know, I we think Bane was kicked out of the game last night, too. So, yeah, you know, like all this, like we ain't scared. Like, I understand nobody should be scared of anybody, but like, right. but there's a certain kind of energy around that team that hasn't won anything yet. Mm-hmm. That um, that is uber problematic. And I think it actually is not helping Ja, who clearly is susceptible to that kind of energy. <laughs> and you know, there's a problem too when the teams like we're not even staying overnight in Miami anymore, right? Like that just yeah. came out. Like for the rest of the year, I don't know how long this lasts. I'm assuming the rest of the year, like those all the those teams, trips, or uh, I I think major cities, uh, which they played in all major cities uh, except Utah. The Memphis, Memphis oh. said that their teams are coming back. Like so, for instance, if they have a game in Miami, they're not staying the night. They're getting on that plane and coming home. They charter. So I pretty much messed it up for everybody. Uh, but at the same time, these dudes are multi-million. They can go to Miami anytime they want. Like you know, in May well, or in June or whatever. But you know, to me, I thought this is the now. This is wild speculation, and this is. I thought there was another problem with him. I honestly thought when he checked into rehab, I don't, and I hope this is not it, but it seemed like there's other problems with substance abuse or whatever. Cause I've seen that video. He's chugging a lot in that video. There's that one video on Instagram going around. There's a lot of alcohol being chugged that only somebody who who's built up some tolerance can chug that much. Um, and I hope that's not, you know, the case where he is, he does get intoxicated at night. And, and if that's the case, that's just something, the team should have been able to step in uh, a long time ago and just sit them out. And maybe they have, and maybe this is the last straw. There's mm-hmm. maybe they are kind of very tight lipped about these things. Um, but I hope that's not the case. And if that's the case, I don't know if 10 days will do it. Um, yeah, I agree I with that. I saw that same I, video. And I, hope he's okay. and I don't really know if, yeah. I mean, like you said, we're all speculating at this point. I, I will say this. I actually think if I'm the GM of that team, I need to figure out how to rebalance some of the personalities on that roster. Right. And like, you know, Ja is untradeable because he's your superstar, but like this Dylan Brooks dude is, is a lot of energy. 
And what that does is that brings a lot of energy towards them, right? They, right. Desmond Bain, right? And like you just, they don't have. They haven't had Forrester and Steven Adams, but that's it. But like in, Steven Adams is the. He's the, only like 29, too, by the way. Steven <laughs> but Adams is even... the calming force on that team. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like that tells yeah. you everything you need to know, right? Like, and I think that that. You know, when I watch them play and when they play well, they're like they kind of they just they they are very emotional. Right. And, and you know, the basketball is an emotional sport, but like some of it is, you know, when these in these playoffs, when you get to the playoffs, it becomes like it becomes not less about emotion and more about execution. Right. And, you know, we got to see this team seven, you know, four to seven times. They know all our plays. How are we going to operate? And all that kind of excitement and excitability um, is problematic, right? And, you know, I think some of it is like you got to win something. <laughs> yeah, eventually you, you know do. What I mean, this eventually, is the same. Yeah. But we can argue this is the same thing they said about the bad boy Pistons too, right? Like when right. they couldn't get past Boston. And, yeah. yeah. And, and like – and so that may be the case, right? That they, you know, they get past and they get to the finals and they they get over the hump over the Warriors or someone like, you know, the Suns or some some program that they feel like, you know. But until they do so, I, you know, if they don't do so this year, they're going to have to change some of these pieces. Yeah. Because then you're like Portland, right? And Dame. And, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, five years from now, you're talking about well, championships don't matter. <laughs> like, I wish people just love basketball. It's like, man, we've, we've moved to a different era where, you know, this post-Jordan era to make sure that nobody catches him. That's all we do is talk about championships, right? And, right. And 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 so that's that's just basketball. The other thing about this is this situation striking. I brought it up uh, uh, probably like 21 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> the, the difference in commissioners, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I talked to a journalist last night about this, you know, Stern versus Adam Silver. And I was like, look, you know, both Stern and Adam Silver, David Stern and Adam Silver, understand that the NBA um, is a black league. And mm-hmm. I, but I think David Stern, because of the time when he took over, um, it's law and order and, you know, in, in America, and he's looking at, whether it's the drugs or the fights or whatever that's going on, it's like, I got to be stern, uh, you know, no pun intended. Right. And, and crack down on this. And so the eighties is like heavy two year suspensions or, or, you know, just, he seemed like there's that Carmelo Anthony story that Melo told a couple weeks ago in this job thing where he sat Melo down. It's like, you're either in or you're out. Right. And, and there's the malice in the palace, right? There's the dress code. There's the age limit. There's the no guns to the arena, yeah. uh, right? With Garib Arena bus and, and here yeah. we are with Cha. Whereas, and, and I think too, David Stern was worried about a certain fan base where, where you know, that fan base, he didn't realize that fan base was never going to care what you did. They're always going to be haters, right? They're always going to see this as a black league and judge it based on that. Whereas Adam Silver understands this is a black league. He understands those fans aren't number coming back, so he doesn't have to appease them. But he also comes in this BLM movement. He comes in during a movement nationally where we're actually talking about mental health and 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 society. And I think he, I wouldn't say polices, but he he's the commissioner of the NBA, understanding that right that that I don't a, have you know to, what he was yeah. in our language. He is restorative justice, right? In in a certain yeah. And so when Ja got busted because I grew up 80s, 90s, I'm like, this is 50 games. He's never playing this year. Or earlier this year when somebody from, uh, what, someone from the Pistons like hit like Mo Wagner in the back of his head and yeah, knocked him out. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's never playing again this year. And it wind up being a couple games, right? And right. it's like, because I'm used to David Stern, like, boom, here's – 25, well, you know, and that, 50 games. And yeah. this is where the game has changed, right? Because David Sturm's coming out of the 70s, right? Shout out to Teresa Runsteller's new book about, you know, Black Ball, about the NBA. Um, and I think that, like, it, it comes out of an era where, you know, the fighting, the style, the ABA, uh, the cocaine and drugs issues, right? Like, when Stern comes in in 84, right, the NBA, like, there was a time where the NBA finals was on tape delay. Yeah. Right. And so like that's the world that that with the Lakers in it. Right. Like this is the world that that David Stern's coming in. 
Now we're talking about a global brand with international superstars who are billionaires, who's, you know, who go all over the globe selling sneakers and the game. Uh, And we got players from all over the globe. Right. And I think that that is and I think that that framework, you know, Stern in turn trying to through kind of harsh punishment, rehabilitate the league in the eyes of not just the fans, but also uh, advertisers and, and, and the kind of corporate sponsorship. Uh, it has allowed for uh, Silver to really come in and, and do uh, much more restorative justice kind of approaches where it's like, look, let's come have a talk, come to the commission's office. Let's talk about what you need right. to do to get better here. Right. We are not, you know, if you do it again, that these will increase, but the, 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 like the first offense, 50 games, <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's yeah, no, you're, you're right. right. You know, like and he right. believes that the, he believes there's a different pathway to getting folks to to buy in. And I think that 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 as you know, I, I see that as that. And I think, you know, these eight games for violating, you know, uh, a league rule is a is is a warning shot as opposed to an execution. Right. Like um, and I think that he's also believes that restorative justice allows for John Morant to to recognize the flaws that he's got to get the kind of help that he needs and then become the superstar that the league needs to go forward in a world where LeBron's in his 20th year, Steph Curry just turned 35, right? Like we need the league absolutely needs another generation of superstars to come in to fill the void that's coming forward. Right. Just as it was with, you know, when Michael Jordan retired and, and then eventually when Kobe and then LeBron is taking this next step and Giannis is in this ring, like, like, but those dudes are all Giannis is big, yeah. Like I was saying, like those superstars, Giannis and B, Jokic, um, Luca are Luca's not as big, but they're like big guys and they're they're foreigners and Ja is in a special place to take to the league. Because Zion is it seems like Zion's not gonna be part of this, right? Like I don't know if his body could keep up, and I don't know. I thought LaMelo would be that guy. And and Anthony Edwards can be that guy. I think he's super. He had, he had some social media problems this summer, but game wise, but he's in Minnesota, right? And mm-hmm. Devin Booker, I don't think Devin Booker is really interested in any of that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe his game, that kind of mid range game, is not. But Jaw is the future. No, the game of right, basketball, even though, like, unless you're shooting, like, you know, this is where Steph Curry is a first mover advantage, right? Like. He's like, I'm shooting these 30 footers, and that is that is as attractive and exciting as dunks, right? Right. And but now that everybody's take like James Harden, who came immediately after that and was at some level more effective at especially getting to the rim in some of those middle years when he won an MVP and to the free throw line, people did not react the same kind of way as they did to Steph Curry, right? And so like like Devin Booker struggles in the sense that he's going to come in that aftermath of that. But Ja Morant's a throwback, dude. Like, again, he's a throwback to these little guys who could, who are explosive, who could get to the rim. And, and that we, you know, that's, that's what the league has always built on is that kind of explosive right. in, leaping in a, ability. In a three and D league, he's explosive, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, I want to watch that. I don't want to watch a team going five for 27 or whatever the Rockets did in game seven against the Warriors. Yeah. I want to watch. That's what I want to watch. Right. Like, Put I your head watch somebody yeah. Get you, get to the rim. Attack, attack, yeah. attack. So yeah. Um, the other thing too, like I know you mentioned Teresa's book, uh, the book, by the way, listeners is black ball. Um, I think it's out. If it's not out, it should be out really it's soon. Out. It, it looks at the NBA, the seventies, uh, labor, and it really becoming a black league. And then that black, that, Blacklash, that backlash, drugs, fighting. So the last two chapters of that it's, it's well put together. Another book, uh, David Leonard has after our test. Um, I think that's what Rutgers Press, but it's just looking at David Pulse after our test, and then Dave Zyron's. I think Welcome to the Terror Dome. It's a classic. It's it's older, but it's a classic, and I think he does a really good job of just saying how the NBA eighties and nineties started to flirt with rap, right? And and you know, and it moves from DJ Jesse Jeff to the Fresh Prince to some of the more of the hardcore stuff. I think one of the things I still remember from that book is that the same day that Jordan hosted SNL, like Public Enemy is the guest to the guest. And so it's like rap, the growth of rap and the growth of the NBA. And David Stern's got to embrace, he's got to like 
deal with all this, right? And I think he's still that law and order guy at the same time flirting with rap and understanding that he has a black league, this we're going to have to build it. And I don't think those numbers have changed, right? And you're right, Adam Silver just sees it differently. He understands because of the moment we're in, right? Stern takes over, Reagan 80s, Silver takes over, BLM movement, mm-hmm. right, happens. The Clippers happen, right, where yeah, yeah. he's actually forcing a sale. And I think it's a good way to see what happened with Jaw and and the only the only eight game suspension. Whereas, like we said, David Stern probably would have nipped it in the bud. That laser pointing incident, twenty that, games, David Stern, the, the, twenty right there. David Stern probably would have had a, a pickup basketball player in those games, those high school games. He would have had somebody working at finish line spying on. Like right. this is this is David Stern's NBA. Whereas Alan Silver's like, all right, we're gonna so uh, uh, and like you know what. Get some help. We'll work with you, and because you are the face of the league, and we don't need to, we don't need to punish you too much. We, you know, and you can hear your, you can hear it in Jaws' responses, like starting to take responsibility for his action, and mm-hmm. we'll see. You know, you know, he still has to live that. Um, but yesterday, when he had that conversation with Jalen Rose, he said all the right things, right? He took responsibility for his actions. Um, he, you know, he didn't really back down to anything. And so we'll see where it goes. Yeah. So that's it, man. Let's let's get out of man, here. We did 30 minutes on job. Yeah, no, we did an hour. There it is. Boom. 101. An let's go. Let's get out of here. Hey, man. All right, man. Thank There's you. some games on, some bad games on. But other than that, peace. Peace.